Hello, everyone. This is Danny, and uh, we are back with a new edition of the podcast. And, uh, you know, I took some time away from it for a bit and wanted to sort of recharge and rethink, uh, you know, what I was doing with the podcast and how I was approaching it. Um, but I was motivated to, to come back and do a new episode because I watched Squid Game, as many people did, and uh, I was just very obsessed with it and couldn't stop thinking about it and wanted to talk about it a lot. And uh, I found out that my friend uh, Adam, Adam Kornman, who has been on the podcast before, he was also a big fan and he had seen it. And uh, I thought, okay, we've got to do a special edition of the podcast where we talk about all things Squid Game. So welcome, Adam. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Um, And just to let everyone know, the idea here is that this will be a spoiler cast. So we're just going to dive in. Um, A lot of of what we talk about will be potentially just more general and sort of, you know, general thoughts about the show and what it all meant. But we will at certain points get into spoilers. So I would say if you've not seen the show, honestly, I feel like this is a show that I was really happy that I went into it knowing literally nothing about the show. And I saw it kind of right when it came out and managed to avoid any spoilers. And I think that's really the way to go into it. So I would suggest if you've not yet seen the show, go watch it and then come back and listen to this because that's really the way you want to go into it is knowing as little as possible, I think. Oh, 100 percent. It is. I mean, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Obviously, in South Korea, it has been exploding out of the uh, out of the woodwork. I mean, it's it's got so many big names in Korean cinema that you will still recognize if you're even passingly familiar with Korean dramas or Korean comedies, you're going to recognize some of the faces. But if you're steeped in it, then you're going to be like, oh, my God. You know, I know every one of these people and I love them so much and watching them go through this is traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is, and- I mean, it's also Netflix, one of Netflix's biggest hits of the fall. I think they made nearly a billion dollars off of this, uh, I mean, a relatively small budget uh, Korean film or a series. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's so funny. I feel like, I. I mean, I think this was what most people, what happened to most people is that I mean, I had never heard of the show. I'm someone who I'm pretty meticulous and I'm pretty nerdy about like literally mapping out what TV shows I want to watch and like what shows I'm excited for so I can kind of plan my TV watching. And this was not something I had heard of whatsoever. And I started seeing, you know, tweets about it um, when it first came out. And the one that really caught my attention, and this is when I still had barely heard of the show was somebody uh, wrote on Twitter, I forget who it was, something along the lines of um, forget every show that you think is, you know, is buzzworthy. Uh, my son in high school came home and he said, this is the only show that him and his friends are talking about. And it's like the talk of, of the school. And that was like, that set off a, a light bulb in me like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I mean, especially in this day and age of things, just happening so virally 
um, I was like, okay, this is something I'm intrigued by now. Well, I think that the internet moves so fast these days that anything that holds your attention for more than a couple of days, that's got to be something that you kind of take note of and, and see, okay, why did this connect with people so much? And I, I found it via TikTok. Um, I'm, you know, oh, wow. one of those older millennials, the ancient millennials trying to figure out how to brand myself in social media. And I, all of a sudden I see these weird clips of people in green jumpsuits and I'm like, what the hell is this from? Cause it, the clips didn't really engage me until all of a sudden at the, like the last three seconds, it's like, Oh, there's a twist to everything that happens in the show. Fine. You know what? I'm going to check it out. And then you go to, to Netflix and it's called squid game. And it's such a weird out there name. It doesn't really connect to you. It's sort of like the, you know, when you have a show that has two weird of a name it's two guys a girl and a pizza place it's a little too busy for me to focus on what the actual show is but then you watch the first episode and you go oh i get it i see what's yeah. going on here it's funny though because like i i feel like things kind of go viral like this i almost assume that it's not something for me uh i don't know why just because sometimes if too many people like something i'll be like oh i don't know if if that's for me but so when I heard about it, though, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is a, will be something I like. And then I as soon as I learned a little bit more information, I was like, OK, it's a Korean drama. That sounds really cool. And it's some sort of like battle royale, you know, type of scenario. I was like, wow, I'm 100 percent in. This is like checking all the boxes of things that I'm really into and love. Um, so I was as soon as I heard a little more information, I was like all in and really excited to check out the show. I, I mean, as soon as I saw the first episode and I kind of got the gag that they were going with, I figured the tone that they were going with, it immediately connected. And I think it's, it's definitely got Battle Royale vibes. It's got the jerk vibes. It's got um, uh, uh, the game vibes. Every, it's that the genre of death game where for, yeah. and again, if, if you haven't watched the show, God, God help you. Go watch the show right now because we're spoiling <laughs> everything. It's just, it takes a concept that's familiar, but it gives it a lot of interesting commentary and it really finds a way to make the characters the center of the show. And I think that's why using kids games makes so much sense because you don't have to get complicated. It's not something where you have to take time and figure out, okay, well, how is this played? I'm really interested in the rules. It's not like they were trying to do Quidditch and if you lose, you get killed. It was red light, green light, and carve carve a shape out of a cookie. Such simple stuff so that the characters really had the chance to step forward and be the center of the show. And I think it's, it's I mean, you. I don't want to say brilliant because that kind of dilutes the word, but it is so well done. And yeah. every performer does such a great job. And apparently the the crew built all of those sets. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable oh, yeah. amount of work. Yeah, it's it's so funny because I feel like, you know, I was I was kind of getting really hyped for the show and I started watching it. And I'm sure a lot of people, again, had the same experience where, um, you know, you, you start watching and it's sort of that it's kind of easing you into everything. And it starts out as like this very character based uh, sort of thing. And you're introduced to the main character and his family life and sort of his his position in society and it was really interesting, but I was I kept waiting for that other shoe to drop. And I'm like, all right, where is this all going? Because, again, I really didn't know much about the show going in. And I just was like in this state of suspense, like, 
I know something crazy is going to happen, but I don't know what that's going to be or how exactly it's going to unfold. And then by the end of the first episode, you go from just this very um, kind of uh, slice of life drama, character drama to holy freaking crap, you know, this death game of red light, green light with just people being gunned down left and right. And by the end of that episode, I was just like floored. I was like, I am a hundred percent in on this show. This is awesome. I think that a big part of what makes the show work is how it balances tone. And I, I remember reading a lot of real hot takes about how it was kind of tonally disparate where you would have these very funny comedic beats and then you would have straight up murder. And yep. it, the way that they're kind of able to do that is again, by, by keeping it in character, by when these characters are given a reprieve from, oh, we're going to die now, they do. They find the, the humor in anything. They find the way to connect to people. And that's what really, that's what makes that opening episode land so hard. Uh, I did want to say, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing in advance to all of your listeners because I, I can't, uh, I don't know the proper pronunciation for a lot of these names, so I'm going to do my best. No, um, neither do I, to be honest. But And honestly, we, we should. If we know how to pronounce Khaleesi, we should be able to say other people's <laughs> names from other countries. But uh, when I saw Gung Yu, who you'll recognize if you've never you know, seen any Korean drama, you'll recognize him from Train to Busan. And he was the same. Oh, right, he's, yeah. the, he's the guy that shows up in the first episode to play the card game with, uh, with Gyung. And, and kind of recruit him into the Squid Games. And as soon as I saw him sit down and I'm like, I know him. He's too famous mm -hmm. to just be some guy. Something really weird's going on. And also yeah. you know that his character is all, like, he always plays these bigger than life kind of characters. Uh, it, it immediately like, okay, that kept me going. I'm a little bit more interested. And the main character, Gyun, uh, who, let, let, me, let me go and find his name so I can. Uh, so Lee uh, Jung-Yai is killing it in the opening as this deadbeat dad as this guy who steals from his mom so that he can go gamble at a racetrack and you just you you kind of identify with him he's a piece of trash but he's got a lot of the same problems as the rest of us so <laughs> that by the time you get to the point where it's like he's being slapped in the face repeatedly to win what essentially amounts to about 80 90 bucks and you kind of go well yeah if i was that desperate i kind of would do that too and I, yeah, it's, and it, it it carries you through it. I think it's it's a brilliant way of kind of keeping the stakes low until at the end of the episode when they get so so high. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it is. It's interesting because I, I, I think again, like probably a lot of people have seen recent movies like Parasite, um, that sort of play in this in this world of of Korean drama that. I find to be really fascinating where I love the way that um, some of these uh, Korean uh, series and movies, they tend to um, just really be all, be kind of all over the map in terms of tone, but make it work in a, in a really interesting way. And I do think a lot of times with American TV series in particular, you know, movies, I think maybe there is a bit more of a tradition of, experimentation and things like that but with tv series even with all the you know ways that streaming has opened the floodgates for different kinds of content 
there's still like we're still very used to you know you have a cop show you have a medical show you have whatever now we have like marvel shows but everything tends to fall into these very neat categories with tv and i love how this just breaks it wide open um and brings this such a unique vision and and tone to the world of tv because we don't Mm -hmm. see it a lot in american tv well, I, I think that the, the TV shows in America that really connect with a wider audience and are considered the golden age of, of TV stuff, so The Wire, Breaking Bad, uh, Mad Men, when you look at those shows, they also bend genre. They don't just stick to one particular style or not. I mean, if you watch any episode of Law & Order, you're going to get a pretty consistent tone throughout really if you watch most police dramas or if you watch most usa uh, two-handers you're gonna get a pretty consistent tone throughout but you watch something like breaking bad where you have these brilliant moments of comedy because uh i mean brian cranston is a phenomenal comedian and then you match that with him choking someone to death with a bike lock while getting stabbed with a broken plate and it's you're able to get both sides of it because you have found your balance of tone. And I think that that's something that Korean drama and Korean dark comedy has really, really nailed. I mean, even Train to Busan has moments of incredible levity that are are wonderful and really take you away from the horror of the moment and then you're descending right back into it. Yeah, I feel like something, I might be generalizing, but I feel like a commonality with some of the recent kind of most popular Korean imports is just this very pitch black sense of humor about the absurdity of the situations that, Mm -hmm. that, that, that the movies are, or TV series are are giving you. And they just have this sort of like bleak gallows humor around how dark everything is in the, in the story. Well, it's got, for this, it's perfect. Yeah, just like within Squid Game, it just works so well because it's such a crazy, bleak, dark scenario. But there's also just a real like playfulness about it at the same time. It it plays around with a lot of uh, you know fun social commentary and the idea of I'm I'm working myself to death doing this job, doing that job, being a gangster, being a refugee. You know, everything is so dire and bleak already. I might as well gamble with my life at the possibility of getting out of this routine. And it's something that I, th- I think one of the reasons it really connected with American audiences is we, we do feel that too. And culturally, we, are, we tend to suppress it. We tend to bury those thoughts down uh, so that we you know, don't, don't rock the boat, any kind of you know, mentality like that. And South Korea is just putting out this Black Mirror-esque uh satire that is just biting and it's so good yeah i feel like in america even i guess you know fictions like a breaking bad they still are sort of subverting the the core idea we have of like the american dream and the fact that there's always some way to overcome whatever life throws at you and um you know, and, and I mean, even from that first episode of Breaking Bad, not to get tuned to that show, but you're sort of on board with like, you know what, somehow Walter White is going to pull through and like make this work. Versus in this show, I feel like a, a difference is that from moment one, you're like, this is going to end badly for everyone. 
mm-hmm. and there's never even a second of pretense that somehow this is some great scenario for for anyone involved. well <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you uh, after the tug of war, I kind of lulled myself into a false sense of security that like, oh man, they've got a team. Now they're, now they're yeah. going to do okay. I didn't realize oh, how how dark it was going to get. Because <laughs> I, I, I saw when you were tweeting about it, when you got to, uh, you, were, you were just past tug of war and you were getting towards the Marvel game. And I'm like, oh no. Oh, poor Danny. You don't even know what's about to happen. <laughs> well, it's the about to get war... so dark. The tug of war is so good. And it's, so I mean, it really is like the show's biggest sort of like fist pumping moment when the old man, I mean, we'll talk more about these characters, but you know, when the old man sort of um, relays his technique for tug of war and by some miracle, it actually works. Um, But it's like, I, I was going to say we uh, let's if we're if we're going to kind of go in, in in a structure. I know you have some topics that you wanted to hit yeah. on, but for anybody who who has seen it or or hasn't seen it, and if you're still here and you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? But we might as well do a quick thing. So essentially, you've got this. Uh, our main character is a divorced gambling addict who uh, you know he's he's trying to do right by his daughter, but he's just a ne'er do well, and he's just got this smile that makes you go, ah, shucks, this guy. Yeah. Even though every action he takes is to be a piece of trash, just to be human garbage. And it's but, it's not his fault. It's he has basically gone down a spiral of what, you know, what what his society has been. He was a chauffeur and then things went bad. Anyway, so he is he's meets up with a salesman who slaps him in the face repeatedly and then says, "If you want to play for real money and you're willing to kind of put your body up, just call this number and uh there's real prize money." So all <laughs> we know going into this is yeah, you know, someone could get beat up, or maybe you're you're going to be humiliated at somebody else's pleasure, so that you can maybe win some money. And then we are introduced with hundreds of people. It's it's I think four hundred and fifty six mm-hmm. individuals, and and apparently they really got four hundred and fifty six extras, which is great. Oh wow! And they uh, they go and they're like, all right, sign this contract. It's all it feels very legal. It feels very normal. Everything about it feels really normal. And then they get into this big playground and there's this weird freaky robot at the end and they're going to play red light, green light. And apparently, (laughs) and this is something that I learned post uh, post viewing is that the, the character uh, who to the robot who sings red light, green light, that's actually a a character that the South Koreans recognize. The game is a little bit different than red light, green light. It's actually about um, a flower blooming in the sun and you have to stop moving when the flower blooms. So it's, It's similar enough that American audience has got it, but it is a little bit different. But just just to step back for one sec, uh, the main character, too, it is so interesting, kind of going back to what I was saying. It's funny, like, I was talking to somebody uh, when I first started watching it who was like, yeah, I just couldn't get into it because that that main character was so, like, I just didn't find him likable. And I was just so uh, angry when I heard that because, to me that's what makes this so cool is that it isn't the typical protagonist that we're used to you know if there were say an american version of this i mean this guy is just kind of a screw up and a loser and you know kind of of slimy but but in a very like i find it a very likable way because again it's like there's no pretense that he's some great hero it's just from moment one telling you that like this is who this guy is 
like yes he has a conscience and yet uh, a conscience and you know maybe isn't a complete a completely horrible person but he's also no great hero and it's just telling you that for moment one and i think that's immediately separates the show and distinguishes it i think and and i understand when people aren't able to connect to certain main characters i think that there is yeah. a fine line when you are creating um not quite an ant i don't i don't think of Gion as a as an anti-hero because he's not taking actions that are antagonistic he's right he is the hero of the story he is just an unlikable hero for a lot of it because because that's his character and that's that is a great tip for writers your main character doesn't have to be a saint they can be a bad person who is only really hurting themselves and i mean and you would say he is hurting his mom but it is it's the way that he has these small moments the way that he connects right. with the old man with uh with ilnab the way that he he keeps going oh my god this is my friend who, right. who went to snu or he's he's just being kind wherever he can and that makes you want him to succeed because it's a social contract. You see somebody who is at the very least being the bare minimum of a human and you go, all right, well, I mean, they're, tr they're trying their best. He's a very human character, I think. Um, and obviously the whole tone of the show is a bit heightened and almost kind of cartoonish in some spots, but, mm -hmm. but he, but despite that, he's a, just a very human character, which made me always very invested in, in everything he was doing, I think. Absolutely. I think in that first episode, the, the rug gets pulled at a certain point. Like, yeah, you, you know, I mean, if you've seen trailers and teasers, if you've seen clips of the show, you know that it's about, you know, it's a running game style thing. There's definitely people getting murdered, but up until that point in the pilot, you've really only seen a bookie who has threatened murder. You haven't really seen any serious physical harm. And so you get this red light, green light game, and you have these two characters who are introduced who are just these young college-age kids or maybe in their early 20s who, you know, they're kind of douchey uh, uh, b-boy kind of guys. And then one of them stumbles a little bit as he's trying to sprint to the other side. And it's like, oh, you're eliminated. And everyone's kind of <laughs> laughing like, ha-ha, oh, yeah. I get how this game is played. And then you hear a shot ring out. But they don't show you much. And I think that that was such an excellent directorial choice. They don't show you really much. You just hear the sound. He keels over, and it's kind of like, okay, well, I think, I mean, you know what happened, but also you kind of go, well, that couldn't, that didn't happen. Red light, green light, they run up, and one, the other B-boy is kind of looking down going, hey, man, come on, get up, you're eliminated. And then the kid on the ground just bits out a whole bunch of blood <laughs> and that's when the you have this sickening realization on yeah. everybody's face and that's when they notice that all of the windows that are above them seem to have a rifle pointing out of it and and the show takes on a, an immediate new meaning and it's it's such a great moment and i think that's yeah. just one of the reasons this show immediately you just well i have to find out what happens next because that was insane well i, I will say though i guess two things one is I honestly didn't know for sure that it was going to be sort of a life or death scenario. I maybe suspected that, but I, I really wasn't sure because I, I had seen nothing about the show. And I think that just made, I mean, again, we'll talk more about this, but I think part of what made this such a fun watch was just that complete sense of discovery 
with no real hype going in other than this is a thing that a lot of people are watching. Um, Absolutely. So, I think any, yeah. any, of the kind, any of these shows, uh, any kind of like The Cube or, um, or Circle or any of those shows where it seems to be a game is played and you don't know what's going to happen next, go in as blind as possible because yeah. it is such a wonderfully horrific experience. Like I didn't know anything about the tug of war. And as yeah. soon as I saw the setup, I got viscerally like <laughs> anxious. This show made me anxious as I was watching it in a good way, in yeah. a very good way. That's why I've been telling uh, people uh, such as my, my brother, Matt, uh, like who still hasn't seen it yet. I was, I'm telling him like, watch it immediately because you don't want this to be spoiled. And even I was kind of annoyed that SNL did on a side note, did that. Sketch did the whole show in, in a song? I, yeah, it was <laughs> funny, but only because I know people are going to have their experience slightly tarnished now who mm -hmm. haven't seen it. Um, but uh, the other thing I was going to say, though, is uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is what you were saying or not exactly, but th throughout the show, there I mean, and, and starting in that first episode, when, like, the gunshots to fire it's almost this fine line between horrific and comedic where everything is so visceral and so just in your face that you just, I mean, it's one of those shows where every gunshot you sort of jump a little bit because you know, you're going to potentially see, you know, graphically the result of that gunshot. And you don't always end up seeing that, but a lot of times you just see it things occur in the most horrific graphic fashion possible. And it is that weird line between like just nauseating, but also almost it's so over the top sometimes that it is almost darkly funny too. It's got a, um, like an old spaghetti Western or a Tarantino style horror where yeah. the gore is over the top. It is hyper realistic so that, it does help because what you are watching is mass murder. So if it was too realistic, it would be deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. But they, they play it up a little bit. The blood is a little bit brighter. It's a little bit more of a spray. Uh, some of the key character deaths that you really wouldn't want to see are handled off screen. So I, I think they do a great job. And I think South Korea, as I mean, South Korea is having a freaking moment when it comes to cinema yeah. in general. Um, basically for the last... I would say since since Bong Joon-ho's first film, everything has just been so much better. And I'm sure that there are older Korean films that are incredible that I need to catch up on. But I'm so that, happy that it's finally, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm really yeah. happy that it's all exploding out in the West because yeah. it's it's such a great thing for young filmmakers and young writers to see how other countries and other cultures handle the same tone. And I think yeah. you you kind of nailed it. It's like it's it's dark comedy, but it's a little bit different. It, it leans into the comedy when it needs to, and it leads into the horror when it needs to. And that's how it keeps it from being too real or too anxiety or or you know something like that. Well, certainly, I mean, uh, some of the, I mean, even going back to that first episode, the horror. It is such a fine line, and it's hard to put into words exactly what they're doing with it, but they almost do play some of the very horrifying moments as comedic beats mm -hmm. where, you know, you see a, one person get gunned down, then you see a couple people, then all of a sudden you see like a hundred people 
and you're just seeing and it, the sheer absurdity and insanity of what just happened is horrifying but you also in a weird way have to laugh a little bit because it's just so out of nowhere and unexpected that it hits you almost like this very dark joke in a way mm-hmm. that it's structured well there's so i i just recently finished watching midnight mass and uh, you know if you need to i would love to come back and talk about that separately because yes. that's phenomenal but there's so there is a I'm not going to spoil Midnight Mass here, just so if anyone listening is worried. So there's a scene in the first episode of Squid Game where as soon as the gun starts firing, there's a sh- close-up shot of Gyun, and someone gets shot off-screen, and he just gets splattered with blood. But at this mm-hmm. point in the game, he knows if I move, I die, so he just kind of takes it. But the way that he plays it is kind of like, ugh, ugh this again. And it's such a great way of... Right. of lessening the drama of what's happening and really it, it lets the audience know hey it's okay you're everyone's okay it is a show in midnight mass there's a similar shot and all it mean all i mean is a character is standing there somebody gets shot off screen blood splatters on their face and it is played 1000 percent different because of the tone of right. that show and it was so interesting to see that same trope of a character having blood splashed on them and the way you can play it and still have it work in both styles. Yeah, I mean, not to get, I've, I've actually, I've talked to you about this a little bit. I've seen just uh, the first few episodes of Midnight Mass so far, but yeah, I mean, Mike Flanagan, who does that show, I think he has a very kind of deadly, serious style of storytelling. Oh, he might be different. one of the best horror directors right now. Yeah. Like I, um, I still think Haunting of Hill House is one of the scariest series I have ever seen. He did such a good job. Yeah. But with, but with Squid Game, I mean, I think there is just that sense of fun that, you know, I think if you haven't seen some other Korean stuff before, then it might really throw you and take you a while to get it. Mm-hmm. But I think once you get into the rhythm and you're familiar with it, you realize how much dark humor there really is. And that there's a lot of parts that have a layer of horror, but also a layer of 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 comedy to them as well. Well, I think, and I, I, as kind of continuing through the story, you get to see a lot of that develop because yeah. the first game ends. It is a bloodbath. Nearly half of the extras are killed off. And they bring all of these people, all these contestants back into the room. And then they're like, cool. So that's it for today. Uh, chill out. And uh, we'll do the next game tomorrow. And everyone's like, this is, this is bullshit. No, let us go. This is murder. You can't do this. And, and you're kind of expecting a fascist beatdown or something like that. And they go, okay, well, uh, if the majority votes that they don't want to play, then the game's over. We'll just send everyone home. And, um, you know, we'll pay off the families of those who died. <laughs> and it's like, what? And then, and then they tell you, oh, by the way, here's how much you're playing for. And uh, everyone, I know everyone in America broke out their calculators after this one, but they say, you know, you're essentially you're playing for about 45 billion won, which I believe translates to around $38 million. Okay. Yeah. I had no idea while I was watching how much money was actually being talked about. Oh, no, no. I, I miscalculated it the first time. I, I, I forgot to add a zero. So I'm like, oh. they're doing this for $4 million? And I was so mad. And then I reread it, and I'm like, oh, wait, no, I, I screwed it up. It's $40 million. Okay, I would, I would do a tug-of-war to the death for $40 million. That would be worth it to me. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, 
to be fair, as the games go on, you kind of go, okay, I would be willing to risk my life in this game because at least if I die, it's quick. Versus, uh, yeah, we'll get to the the bridge game. The bridge game was like, no, I'm out. Well, I did, did want to mention, yeah, um, I did want to mention though too because I think I forget exactly when they introduce all of this, but I think a lot of it is just in the first episode that immediately you also realize that this show is not going to be like this show is really going for it and it's giving you like not just this premise in a very straightforward way but it's giving you full-on like stormtroopers in these red outfits you know that are just kind of these instantly iconic like super villain outfits um and it's got like i kept calling him the polygon man because, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> well, I know, I know he was actually the Doctor man, Doom. I called him the Polygon Man because his face mask looked like a PlayStation One video game. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but uh, like you, then you see him, and he's like the the Darth Vader of the story, and it introduces just these super comic booky elements that, again, like some probably like older audiences are seeing this and are like what is this and but for me i was like this rules why isn't every show like this well i i mean that's one of the my the best things about this show is if you yeah. only had the a story uh the story of Gyun and the games it's an amazing story but then you work in all the b and c and d plots that they're able to work into this and it it elevates it. It adds all of this extra life to the universe that I think is so necessary to make it even more horrifying and even more incredulous by the end of the series. Like a, you've got this uh, this detective who is looking for his brother who went missing, and the only yeah. clue that he has is the card that Guillaume. Because uh, I mean, again, second episode, everyone is let to go home. They just watched a hundred people, a couple hundred people die. And they get to go home, but they're told, hey, if you want to come back, just call the number and you can come back. And that's it. <laughs> and it's like, it, yeah. it, it feels unreal. You you realize watching that first episode, you're like, well, no one should go back. That's insane. Right. And then the second episode is all about how each one of our main characters go back to the life that hasn't changed. And that it's, it's kind of a reinforcement of status quo. It's a, it's a really interesting expression of the hero's journey where they have literally refused the call to adventure after having been on adventure and now we get to see them slightly changed look at their lives and be distressed and disgusted and like you know what it's honestly worth my life because this isn't going to get better unless i take a drastic choice and you could you could say well no anything is better than risking your life just get a job Gihun. but again it, it puts you in enough of a place where you can understand, okay, yeah, I get it. They're gonna, they think this is the only way and it makes the rest of the show possible. But I also do think that that whole sequence where, or the whole sort of development of various characters deciding to go back is a very dark joke too, because I think it is clear as an audience member that of course they should not be doing this and going back. Literally anything is better. They're 99.999% going to die by doing this. Um, and so they're, they're completely dumb for doing it. Um, but 
that's sort of the joke of the show that like it's just this absurd beat of like well got nothing to lose might as well well and uh, i mean again the writing on the show is top notch um and i know that the translation and uh um the dubbing has been getting a lot of flack for not being 100% accurate. I totally understand that. It's very difficult sometimes because cultural idioms don't translate. But the the uh, the foreshadowing in the second Ooh. episode, every single character, the actions that they take when they're away from the games equal how they're going to die in the games. And yeah. I think that that is, it is so, it's subtle. You You would not place it until you watch it a second time and you go, Oh, hell, look at that. That's amazing. It's really well done. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because um, I was watching another show that I will not name um, after I watched Squid Game. And I just watched the first episode of it. And it was introducing all these characters. And I just didn't really care about any of them versus I think I was so spoiled by Squid Game where. I feel like the only other show I can think of that did this as well was Lost, where all these characters are thrown together and each one immediately, uh, I mean, we have a clear protagonist, but every character quickly has something about them that's intriguing and that fits, that's intriguing within this particular scenario that makes you wonder how they're going to fit into this particular world of the games. Um, and you know, then the more you learn about each character, they really do become each really amazing characters. And some of the ones that I didn't think at first I would be as into by the end, I think literally every character I loved as a character. Oh, absolutely. I think obviously there are some clear standouts. Um, uh, number 67, uh, King Sibyuk, the, uh, the North Korean defector is yep. the internet's darling she she did an amazing job she's uh um, she was amazing yeah she's she was a, a for, actually apparently uh the actor who plays guillaume too they're former models <laughs> they oh yeah this is like i mean for guillaume he's done some other movies but for her this is her first movie and she knocked it out of the park like really really great job and yep. I, it, it's also again it's a subtle cultural thing that i don't think really translated uh for a lot of western audiences she is hiding her accent oh, for, the, for most of the show because North Koreans apparently have a very distinct accent Ooh. that South Koreans notice right away. Uh, which, Actually, again, given, that, given uh, the way the countries kind of live next to each other and experience each other, you can understand that. If you go back and watch the scene where she's talking to her little brother in the orphanage, you will hear a different version of how she's speaking. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that, actually. So that's that's really cool. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say too, like going back to the whole subplot of the the cop who's like infiltrating the squid or the, the games and, you know, is sort of undercover. Uh, I think also that reminded me of Lost because what the show did in its own way is it infused like these different genre tropes into this uber premise but it did it really in a really fun, cool way where like you get this sort of classic like undercover cop drama as like a side story within this bigger whole. And they did it really well and in a really fun way. So it was a fun diversion to all of a sudden be in this world of like undercover hero cop, you know, as all this other stuff was going on. 
Well, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack with the detective story. So uh, the character, uh, uh, Huang Junho, is looking for his brother, and he sneaks into the Squid Games, and basically you, it gives you the behind-the-scenes perspective of, of these soldier characters, these worker characters, who are apparently, according to the director, they're supposed to resemble ants. They're supposed to be like worker mm -hmm. ants, so that's why they're all faceless and, and have all these different rules that they have to follow. And of course, there's a bunch of fun theories about them. But regardless, you get to see that even the workers who are behind the scenes making all of this run seem to kind of be prisoners themselves. There's very right. strict rules. They they can get killed at the drop of a hat and their lives are strictly regimented. They, they're monitored 24-7. And there's also some side deals that they're working on in order to try yeah. and make a little money. It's like there's so many layers to it that add life, like the, the concept of them harvesting organs makes a lot of sense because that's how you could afford to build all these crazy squid games. Mm -hmm. the, well, the world building is so good. And like, again, this is something I don't know. I mean, I guess, again, I don't want to generalize too much, but it's something I notice a lot in like of the Korean movies that I've watched. I've noticed this as um, a real strength in a lot of the best ones is that for some reason there just tends to be a real storytelling ability to have you hanging on every development. I think partially because it, the, the, the storytelling structure tends to not be predictable. And so like, for example, what you were saying about when, when the undercover cop kind of goes undercover as one of these like stormtroopers, so to speak, um, you know, you're instantly like, oh, wow, I haven't even thought about this. But I guess they do have all their own rules and like regulations and they live in this whole world where they themselves are kind of almost, you know, indentured servants of some kind. And you're just, you're, you know, as you're watching, you're like, oh, my God, I never even thought about this. And the show does such a good job of like swerving you and sort of introducing these new world building elements. And I mean, like the way that each worker has a different symbol on their face, either a circle, a triangle or a square. And within an episode, you understand how the pecking order works. You understand why when our detective is able to get a square mask, it is such an important thing. Um, and it, it just shows you this, how if you trust your audience and you don't try to spoon feed them, but rather give them clues and then let it pay off that they really appreciate that. I think that's a, a reason people really connected to this is because it never played down to people. It, it really asked them to pay attention, follow clues, and get surprised when these revelations come out. Yeah, and, and just going back to the characters, I mean, just to like run through some of them, and, and correct me if I, I'm probably pronouncing some of the names wrong, but like, um, is it Dootsu? Dootsu? Who for, for, basically the main antagonist who's like just kind of the the asshole villain of the whole thing uh I'm, yeah i'll go with joke too uh okay. so he's the gangster yeah and even when, when we got to see his behind the scenes story i i kind of expected him to be like a boss guy or something like that but he's he's just this worker bee in a in a like organized crime who's yeah. stealing from his boss like an idiot and and everyone's kind of laughing at him and you you don't like you don't 100% sympathize with him. He is a villainous person, but it does give you just a moment of like if I was in his shoes, if I had yeah. lived a life that led me to where he is. Yeah, I kind of get it. 
And I think that's the best kind of an antagonist when you don't agree with them and you think what they're doing is wrong and you know that there's a better way that they could be interacting with these people, but you get it. And I think that is the sign of a well-written villain. Yeah. I mean, this actor was just awesome and just such a great just villain of, of the piece. And a lot of the characters are sort of these shades of gray, but I feel like he, like you said, has a little bit of, you know, some little moments of sympathy, but for the most part, He's just a complete asshole. <laughs> and, well, I mean, uh, when you get when you get to the end of episode two and episode three, you're like, oh, this guy's just a piece of shit. Like this guy, so good. I want him to die so bad. <laughs> he's just such a great heel. Like, oh, uh, such a great heel. Yeah, he just does the like just most asshole-ish things in every scenario. And, well, and he, yeah, he sort of if, reminds me of Negan on The Walking Dead a little bit. Oh, absolutely. If we're going to talk about, you know, that heel that you love, it's got to be Han Minyao, the the crazy-eyed woman from <laughs> who keeps hopping to different teams. <laughs> yeah, and she's great. I mean, she's very over the top and very – she's a lot. Um, but I love that. I feel like she just – she kind of just wears on you until you, you sort of love her by the end. Uh, as the kids say, she understood the assignment. Yeah. Um, and she just is, is kind of a really pathetic character in her own way, but she's so persistent. And so, you know, she just kind of keeps digging her own hole deeper and deeper. Well, she and, keeps uh, switching who she is and what she is in order to try and fit in. So when she senses that Ali, who is, I mean, come on, Ali's the best character. Ali deserved to win justice for Ali. <laughs> Um, when, uh, when, when Ali is, you know, just kind of like calling her out on being a little bit of a, you know, turncoat, she yeah. immediately goes racist and she's like trying to, okay, well, I'm going to see if that works on this group. And when it doesn't work, she just, she shuts it off. She tries a different tactic. And that's that all she does is I survive by changing everything about myself. And the yeah. point, I mean, skipping ahead a little bit, the point at which she stops, you know, trying that and stops trying to survive is when she realizes that I'm going to die. I'm not going to die without this son of a bitch coming with me. Yeah. And that's an incredible moment too. Um, uh, I want to, I want to get to there in a minute because the tug of war sequence. Well, oh, I mean, first of all, so Ali, Ali is this, um, he's, he's Pakistani, I believe. Uh, Pakistani. Yes. Yeah. So he is a Pakistani immigrant and you get this great scene of him, uh, you know, during episode two, where he's got a wife, he's got a young child, he's trying to get his family over from Pakistan, and uh, Pakistani immigrants in in Korea apparently have a lot of racism to to go up against. Uh, as I'm sure your audience understands, racism isn't just an American institution; it occurs pretty much everywhere in different mm -hmm. shapes and forms, and it, it's terrible and it's awful. So he's dealing with that, and it sucks. But he is also this incredibly loyal, kind person. And in every episode, he just wants to be a good helper. And it's, you immediately love him. Like, you're just like, I want this guy to be number two. I want, I want Gion to win, and I want him to be number two. And I don't trust uh, Sun Yi from SNU at all. Right. Um, <laughs> or Sangwoo, Sangwoo. Sangwoo, yeah. But you get this... Um, yeah, so, you're, I mean, you, you get all these incredible characters and you're starting to understand everybody we get a big bloody brawl and then we get to the third game which honest honestly of all the games it was tug of war and it was the glass bridge i couldn't freaking handle i know we're skipping over the uh, the dolgana do you want to talk about the dolgana well, 
is that the the marble? That's the cookie. That's the cookie. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Um, because that's yeah. become an inter- internet sensation too. Everybody's making this because it's literally two ingredients, and it is. It's also delicious, by the way. Yeah, I think that was just. I mean, just that game was one that. It be, you know, it seems so simple and yet, you you know, so difficult. And so I think that's one in your head as you're watching where you're really like, OK, what would I do in this scenario? Uh, and and then there is that moment where, you know, they realize like, oh, you can use the, the sunlight to sort of help you. And they kind of find like a key. Code and- <laughs> you can you can look it. Well, so I mean, a lot of people have done myth busters on this stuff, but I, yeah. I, I made one at home. And oh, it wow. is surprisingly difficult uh, because it's it's essentially um, a slightly aerated caramel that if you t- if you make it right and apparently you're supposed to make it very thin, uh, it is so fragile to mm-hmm. cracking. And so I, I I get it. I know it's not as difficult as the the show makes it, but I definitely got shot a few times. Is what I'm saying. Well, <laughs> but you know, one of the, I mean, just one of my favorite like little things about the show, and I think it was evident in that game and in some of the others, is how the it, there's basically like no rules, in, in the sense that like the the um, the guards, the the you know, in the red suits, they will let you basically do anything as long as you don't break the specific rules they lay out. And so it is, there are these moments of like absurd comedy where people either like, you know, cheat the game in some way or like manipulate, or Mm -hmm. even in the case of, you mentioned the brawl, it's like, in theory, you could just murder everyone and it's fine and no one will lift a finger as long as they're not violating the specific rule of the game, which is so absurdly funny. As, you know. I'm curious. And <laughs> I've been trying to like, this is one of those weird mental games you play. If you killed literally everyone at, during that brawl, literally you're the last person left. Technically you should win, but the rules that they say at the very beginning of the game are mm-hmm. you will play six games and the winners will, will get the big prize. So I'm wondering if if you get all if you killed off everybody, you would still have to play the next couple of games. But now I you're doing it yourself. My, what I think, and I think we saw some hints of this in the show, is that they would ultimately step in if anything was going to uh, jeopardize the games going the full length because so much depended on the VIPs being there and sort of uh, having their entertainment at the end. Which the will- goddamn oh. VIPs. <laughs> um, <laughs> which. Well, I I do. I want to get to them because, oh, my God, I have so many thoughts. Uh, But well, so first, just because you talked about Ali, though, I mean, I think you have to talk about him in conjunction with saying Wu, who I think was also one of my favorite characters, because, you know, immediately the second you see saying Wu and you see Gion go, oh, this is the guy who went to Essen. And all Gion does is talk him up. He's such a such a wingman. And as soon as you see how Sang-woo is reacting to it, you're like, oh, this son of a bitch isn't right. Don't trust him. It's, it's sort of like when, uh, when you've got a heist and there's a new yeah. team member and, and it's like, don't worry, this guy's cool, but he's not cool. That's Sang-woo. Yeah. Sang-woo is not cool. But I, I'll say one of the greatest tricks that the show pulls is, and maybe I'm like, I tend to be kind of a gullible viewer sometimes, I guess, but I really thought he was, like, I, I was suckered into thinking that he was, like, a good dude, like you said. And then I was really genuinely surprised 
that he ended up being essentially the ultimate rival of the whole show. And I, I was very pleasantly surprised by it because it's one of those things that as soon as you get to that final episode, skipping ahead, but you know, you're like, okay, this actually makes perfect sense. And it was brilliantly set up, but I really did not see it coming. So they really did a great magic trick with that. Well, I think, and that's, that's a thing that I think they did a really good job of in, I think it was, it was the end of episode one. It was the beginning of episode two, where they're describing the situation that all of these people are in. Everybody is desperate in some way, shape or form. And when they talk about saying, woo, they hint at the fact that he's in a lot of debt, that he's maybe being investigated for some, some embezzlement stuff. <clears throat> but then you get to learn he is in deep, deep trouble. And while you have a gangster, uh, uh, who, uh, Dexter, who is going to die if he doesn't get out of this, all that means is he's either got death waiting for him there or here. He doesn't really have as much going on. But saying woo is a person who worked hard to get a life of comfort, and that's what's threatened. He's had right. a taste of the good life, and so it makes him even more dangerous. And I think it's also, it's a part of the, the satire that the most dangerous mm -hmm. person in the game isn't the criminal, it's mm -hmm. the banker, it's the money guy. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> point. And he also, I mean, he really is kind of the Batman of the show where, I mean, he's always, uh, you know, a couple steps ahead of everyone in some ways and he always has these like devious uh but sort of ingenious plans to win the games and you know when you get to that marble game oh. i kept thinking like what is what is gonna happen here like i genuinely had no idea well even during the, even during the delgona game the, the second game where he sees shapes on a wall and he gets it he kind of knows what this is like you can tell oh, he's starting to get that it's a kid's game and he knows what this means. Yeah. And he doesn't tell everybody, hey, just do triangle. That's what we're going to do. We're all going to do triangle. Instead, he sends him everywhere because he's he's trying to, you know, make his odds better. And mm -hmm. you, you kind of sense that. And yeah, you kind of forgive him because who knew? There was no way he could be 100% sure. But, but it's then, also you get to the tug of, then you get to tug of war and then, of course, you get to marbles. Yeah, I mean, it's also, if you put yourself in the mindset of the game, you're like, wait, this dude is like the ultimate badass because he he is understanding how to win at these games in a mm -hmm. way that other players are not. Exactly. Well, I mean, oh my God, we haven't even mentioned the cheating doctor. Oh, yeah. We did, mention, we did mention that there's an organ harvesting C-plot that pops up in a couple episodes. But, mm -hmm. but the... Um, so there's one of the contestants is a doctor who was specifically recruited to help harvest organs. And, um, and the, the, the payment that he's going to receive is he gets to know what each uh, game is going to be ahead of time, which I mean, that still wouldn't fully help you get through the games. Again, right. tug, tug of war, tug of war broke me a little bit. <laughs> it was horrifying to watch, but, but yeah, I, I, but then, of course, when they catch him cheating and when it's all kind of found out, the people who are running the game, you know, Mr. Polygon, they kill oh. all of the conspirators and they hang them in public because, hey, the point of the games is this is supposed to be fair. Right. <laughs> it's supposed to be anybody has a chance to win this, this big piggy bank full of money. Yeah. And, I mean, it is that's where it went a little bit Handmaid's Tale of, like, this, like they're within this society of the game, they're sort of 
living under the rule of, of this just crazy despot who will literally display the hanged bodies of anyone who opposes him. Well, but as, as we'll find out when we get to game five, that's not actually true. They don't want to see it be totally fair. They don't want to see everybody have a shot at winning right. because what they really want is, is the entertainment for the VIPs. Um, when you get to the, the tug of war game is, if nothing else, it's a foreshadowing of the main twist of the story about Ilham. Right. Uh, so uh, you, have, you have this super old character who literally is number one in the games. So immediately you're like, this is the first guy they recruited. And he's just this old guy who, you know, has a brain tumor. And he says he's getting dementia. And Gihun, our main character, immediately kind of like, oh, I got to take care of the old guy. Because he feels bad about not taking care of his mom, who has diabetes. So it's, it's a very nice parallel. And then when you get to game three, and throughout the games, you've seen that uh, Gihun is, or Ilnam, the old man, is having such a fun time. He's got this right. big grin on his face when he's playing the games, and it's, it's meant to tell you something. But then you get to round three, and it's tug of war. And uh, the team that Gihun and Sunya uh, have assembled is a bunch of scrawny people and Ali, who is you know, beefcake. And now you're about to play tug of war against a whole group of people who recognize if you lose this tug of war, you fall to your death, which is a horrible way to die. And we all know, I feel like, you know, almost everyone has played tug of war at some point when you're a kid. And it's such a visceral feeling of you can channel that exact feeling in your head of what it's like when you start to lose at tug of war and you can't quite, you know, hold on and you're slipping. Wait, it's, it's the absolute worst. It's it's worse than dodgeball when you're the last person against a whole team. It is this feeling of sheer embarrassment and shame and fear because there's nothing you can do once the momentum's against you. And I think that's a, it's such a perfect game to throw into this horrible running man scenario because you, I mean, you watch a game played by a bunch of red shirts that we don't know, and it's horrible. And then our guys get up and they're up against a bunch of people we don't know. So we kind of know, okay, our guys are going to make it out. But how? You've got this old guy who's a thousand. You've yeah. got three women who don't want to do anything. You've got Ali, who's just the tank. And then you've got Sung, who's, I don't know, shady as fuck. And doesn't and, Ali even have like a bad hand or something? Yeah, Ali's got a bad hand because he's he's been working in a factory with bad OSHA standards. So he's lost yeah. a couple fingers. I mean, it is... It is crazy intense. And then as they're riding this elevator up to the thing, the old man kind of recognizes, hey, I got to shut these guys up. Let me tell you how to win this game. But and I, it's, it's perfect. It's such a great yeah. scene. Well, I think that goes, it all goes back to what we were talking about with the tone. Because by this point in the show, the last thing you would really expect is some sort of big, like, rocky you know, uh, victorious, throw your fists up in the air type of moment. And then the show just unexpectedly gives you that. And it's so joyous and triumphant that, I mean, I was like literally jumping out of my chair for that moment. That's, that's the way that it plays with tones so well, because yeah. again, you know that part of this game is they have now crossed the threshold. In the first game, nobody was responsible for death. In the second game, you could theoretically help people out and, and get them across the line by just showing them how to eat the cookie better. In this game, you are directly responsible for people dying. 
it is an escalation yeah. that is so stark and and horrific and at the same time when they win when they're falling on their backs and laughing and so happy to be alive you just throw your fist in the air and again it's uh, our our you know villainous side character uh is is the one who comes up with that final plan because they're saying Wu is you know in charge of pulling he's right behind Giyong, and they're not quite gonna make it it's very clear they don't have the strength and he says okay well we're gonna try an old school trick take mm -hmm. a couple steps forward to trip them and then drag them off of this cliff and yeah. when it works you're just oh it's it's such elation oh yeah and i feel like you know again like we've all played tug of war and i don't you know the memories of playing tug of war are sort of fuzzy in my head but I feel like as soon as you see it, you start thinking like, wasn't, isn't there some way you could maybe like cheat at that, not cheat or like sort of manipulate it. Like there's gotta be something. Right. And then yeah, there's some strategy to it. Yeah. And then when they pull it off, you're like, Oh man, that was yeah. just so good. <laughs> no, the, um, the, the marble game was, was an excellent, I mean the, the episode of the marble game, it's just, it's essentially a bottle episode. Everyone is stuck in one <laughs> position. There's not a lot of movement. It's your, you're sitting with one character, and it's a great character work episode. Yes. You get to have, um, you get to have Sang Woo show his true colors, which is horrific and and just such a monster. Uh, Gyun, who who is um, you know really connected with Ilnam, with the old man, mm -hmm. uh, now has to have this really depressing moment with him. And then Sebyok, uh, it connects with somebody for the first time in her life. She finds this yeah. other this other girl, and together they say, "Okay, well, we're not going to play a game until like the last minute, so that there's no real pressure. We're just going to sit and talk." And it is such a beautiful, honest, brutal thing to watch her finally mm -hmm. expose herself and finally be a human being to another person and let somebody connect to her. And then you have the ending of it where she's like, God damn it. Yeah. I mean, I think she is in a lot of ways the standout of this episode and just does incredible. The actor just does incredible work. Um, but but every character is so perfectly, uh, you know, kind of filled in in this episode and everyone has their great moments. Um, and, and the story of the old man and sort of, you know, his whole interaction and his seemingly like dementia kind of spiraling is just so harrowing but um it's another episode where you're just hanging on every moment well and and uh, so the end of the marble episode you have sang Wu who is clearly losing he's been losing the whole game to ali because because basically it was like okay everyone gets in a room pair up and that was like the big thing is pair up and then when they get into the, you don't know what the game is. When you get into the room where they're playing the game, it's you're going to play a game of marbles and whoever has 20 coin or 20 marbles wins. The other person gets shot in the face. And it was this horrific moment, not just because you had all of your main characters paired up, but then you had this character who had said, oh, I'm going to be sticking with my wife for this game. Right. Who, you know how that has to happen now. I mean, it's, it's such a brilliant way of, of tricking your expectations and oh, yeah. giving you this extra layer of drama. But so Ali is winning the game. Sangwoo says, listen, we're going to find another way to win this. I'm going to outthink this, the game creator. So oh, wait, can I just interject? Oh, oh yeah, go, 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 go. I was going to say, I mean, I, I don't want to undersell it. Like the twist that you're actually going to be competing against the person you thought was your partner 
it's so simple, but I think it might be like, not to <laughs> be hyperbolic. I think it's like one of the greatest moments ever in a TV show. Like, it was incredible. Well, because you had this, you had such an incredible buildup to it as well, because you had uh, Gyun and Ilnam. Uh, Ilnam is this old, old, he's a thousand years old, and he is sitting by himself. Everyone's pairing up, and Gihun is like talking to somebody, and they're like, cool, we'll pair up. And Gyun looks over and he sees the old man, and he <laughs> honestly is worried. If I don't pair up with him, no one will, and I don't want him to die just because yeah. he doesn't have a partner. So he walks over and he's like, I'm going to be your partner. And then they have this beautiful moment where the old man says, uh, we are, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this. We are Gumbri. We are, right, uh, right. I, I believe it translates to there is nothing between us. Like we are so close. We don't, we're not owing each other anything. We're just perfect friends. And it's, mm -hmm. it's this beautiful moment because throughout the show, they have been really great characters together. They oh, seem yeah. to work really well. And yeah. then you find out the game is one of you has to kill the other. Yeah. It's just incredible. Um, and the, the, so we can come back to this in a minute, but the only, like, literally my only knock against this whole series is, and I don't, I haven't read a lot. Like, I'm not sure what other people think about it. The ending of this episode is so good with the old man that it almost just makes me not love the twist in the final episode about who he really is because it's so perfect. I almost just don't want anything more from his story you know i think i think what works about it and i, I totally understand your perspective i think yeah. for me what works about it is that it would have worked either way for me i think that had that been the death of the old man who kind of recognized you know what i really like this kid my life is ending soon i would rather give him a chance to go forward because we have connected so much and i think that's a beautiful moment it's a it's a sacrificial moment but we also had that with say book's partner, uh, uh, like Lee, Lee Ju, I think. Uh, we, we also saw that with the North Korean girl. So it yeah. would have been kind of repetitive. So the fact that it comes back with the twist, I think, I think worked. There's also, there's a lot of groundwork that gets laid with the old man that I, I, yeah. didn't, I did not notice. Like I had to read up on it. Like the, in the red light, green light game, uh, we're, we're gonna spoil a bunch guys. In the red light, green light game, when it cuts to the robot perspective, Mm -hmm. You see outlines over everybody, except when it looks at the old man. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, I mean, it also makes sense from the fact that this guy knows every game that seems to be played. When uh, when they did the tug of war, if you slow down when it's kind of panning over them after they win, everybody is handcuffed to the rope, like you couldn't just let go. The mm. old man's handcuffs aren't locked, so he yeah. Can slip I them. think it's just one of those things where. I feel like we don't know enough about who he really is to fully get what, like what his whole deal was as a character. It would have made, it would have been better if we knew a little bit earlier on that he was coming from money. So you kind of had a little bit more of, of that perspective. Cause yeah, it's true at the end. And again, horrible spoiler. You find out that he is actually a billionaire uh, who is is behind the Squid Games of Korea? Because yeah. we also learned that there are Squid Games that happen elsewhere that are probably not right. called Squid Games. When I'm getting right down to it, but but are you they meet all these VIP? Well, you meet all these VIPs, and I would right. imagine that Squid Games is this person specific. I imagine the the American who's running the show calls it like hopscotch, the right. hopscotch games. Ah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and you have to play wall ball or die. Yeah. Spades or die. Uh, by the way, though, before we like fully get into the old man, um, I just want to say one more time, like in the Marvel episode, it is kind of also the height of the sort of dark joke that, you know, all the guards are just standing around watching and you can literally do anything you want during that time. You can you to the point where you're literally making up the game that you're playing um oh yeah we should we should specify the marble game it's not like this is how you play marbles it's here are 10 marbles yeah pick a game and that's crazy that's crazy when your life is on the line yeah it's so funny i mean you see that sort of explored where um what's his name uh you know sort of changes the game midway through because he senses Mm -hmm. he's he says Uh, hey it's supposed to be fair right so uh, we can change the game right right and even that, I was kind of like, really? Like, you're a lot, they're just letting him do that? But yeah, I feel like they are, they, they kind of let it be a free for all in a lot of ways, which again is just like very darkly funny. Well, I'm, ca- I'm kind of wondering if the old man had like three games in mind and then he was like, oh, I'm getting a little tired. Uh, let him figure it out. Just give him some marbles. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I get that's the thing that I come back to. And maybe if I read more or think more about it, it'll make more sense. But like the mo, like the way that the old man played, like what the whole, the way that that whole thing played out with him in this episode, if he was really the manipulator behind everything, I don't quite get why he let it play out that way. Well, I think to him, he knew what the next game was. And he knew there's no way he can play the next game. That's a little mm-hmm. bit too much physical activity. And he's not about to risk his life. That's not what he was actually about. So I think he also recognized that this was the game that he could finish on and leave. Yep. And, and that was because all he wanted to do was play. Like that's what he wanted to get out of this particular series. And I mean, as we're going to talk about in the bridge game, there's it. Oh my God. It's, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, I'm just realizing a question. Maybe this is a dumb question that I, I actually am not sure of the answer to it, Did the old man actually have dementia or was he putting it on? He had, um, he had a tumor, but I think the dementia was put on. Okay. Interesting. I think he, I think he probably knew that he was getting close to the end, but I don't think he had quite as severe a symptom as he was letting on because again, it was a game to him and he wanted to, he wanted to test Guillaume too. He wanted to see how he would react in certain situations. Like when, when we meet him, uh, when, when the guard pulls the blanket off and he's got, he's urinated himself, he soiled himself. There's also a bottle of water next to him. That's clearly been emptied. So it's, it's kind of like, did he just fake that to test Guillaume? He, I mean, I guess the, the sort of leap you have to take then is that he was, like the greatest actor of all time to do this. Well, I, I think in a situation like this, you're not really focusing on how truthful some people are being right. about themselves. Yeah. I don't Yeah. I, I, I'll say this, like I really liked the setup to the twist because the whole series keeps you on your toes about like, well, who really is behind this? you know, you get that sense that there is some, like at first you just assume that the front man is the guy running things, but then you start to get hints that there is like a higher power that 
he reports to and you're like, oh, who's the higher power? Is it someone we already know? Is it going to be some mysterious person that we haven't seen? And so you know something is coming and some other shoe is going to drop. And so then when the when the twist happens, it makes sense. And you're like, oh, I okay, that I get that. But then I part of me wishes that it was just a story of this old man who had dementia and made this you know, sacrifice at the end with like his last mm-hmm. coherent thought, you know, I understand. But I, I also think that this is important for Keon's journey as we'll, as we'll see towards, as we talk about possibilities for season two. Yeah. I don't think it would have been, I don't think he would have done what he did, what he did at the end of the show, had it not been for the twist. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about quickly, like the VIPs and just, yeah, so I the VIP. So this is this is a part a port of contention uh, because obviously they wanted to get some Western actors uh, or Western sounding people because obviously it's supposed to be these opulent bajillionaires who are watching the peasantry die for their pleasure. It is very over the top, and and it is honestly the worst acting in the in the whole <laughs> series. It is real bad, but. Who cares? Like, you're not supposed to like these people. You're supposed to immediately identify them as just the scum of the earth. Yeah. It. So I. This is one thing I did kind of do a little reading on, just because I was immediately fascinated. As I think, again, a lot of people probably were with like, who are these? Like, the cast of the show is so good, and everyone is like, are these incredible actors? And then these guys come in, you know, uh, kind of these uh, like white dudes, basically, who just sound like they stepped out of the set of like a porn movie in in acting level. Um, and you're just like, who are like, what's going on here? So I did a little reading about it. And I, I think it sounds like part of it is um, just, you know, they're basically acting the, the, the nature of like them acting speaking English in something that was written by Koreans, you know, where there was like weird, you know, the language was a bit stilted. And they were also saying that oftentimes the editors didn't know English. And so they used cuts that weren't good because um, they didn't, they couldn't always tell like what were the better cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like there's a couple things that went, that factored into why it was that way. I don't know that they intentionally, were like, oh, these should be bad actors. But <laughs> I, I did just like it because it it was like, I feel like so many aspects of the show, like we talked about, are these kind of dark jokes. Mm-hmm. I feel like it fit into the joke of these characters that they're just these really, you know, dumb, I don't know if dumb's the right word, but like just pitiful, horrible American people who um are sort of these like almost trumpian idiots who happened into money somehow you know oh yeah now you're you definitely get this idea of these are these are people who have so much money that they don't consider themselves a part of humanity anymore which hey you know what we've got some people flying into space on penises so we, we kind of live in this it is it is a part that does change the game in a very dramatic way but i think that it was necessary i think that you needed this part of the show to explain what the hell is going on if if this show ended without the vips 
I think the big hot takes that we would see from BuzzFeed and Kotaku would be, but like, where did it come from? And it's like, okay, we can't just, you know, have nice things. But I think that doing it this way allowed, allowed a little bit of that universe to be told without uh, spoon feeding. Uh, well, I mean, a little bit of spoon feeding, but without making it too overt. And you do get that great sequence with the detective just squeezing the jewels of that, <laughs> that poor de- demented person. It is a little bit of a trope that I wish people would get away from that. Um, people who are villainous are also sexual deviants. I don't think we need that every time. Although but, in reality, that does tend to be true. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those shorthand things that I think, you know, you see these people and how they're sort of these deviants and like, you know, they're wearing the like eyes wide shut type masks and stuff. And you're just like, you immediately get who these people are. Uh, and you're just like, you know, th- with with very limited time, they're able to very quickly make you understand what their deal is. Um, but I also think it sort of, it is kind of the other piece of the puzzle when it comes to, okay, we have all these characters who or sort of, you know, um, like an exploited working class and very desperate and very willing to do anything to, to get a leg up. And then I feel like you almost have to then see the people who are sort of laughing at them and, you know, taking pleasure in their suffering. And it is this sort of just, um, you know, uh, upper class of people that I think we can very much relate to here in America who just seem to laugh and take pleasure in like the misfortunes of others mm-hmm. no absolutely and it's the the way that they're served opulent food the way that the game is presented both as this diorama where which is so um it, it separates them so much from the reality of the human suffering that they're causing but at the same time they're watching it happen as though on a stage before them like live theater yeah and i think it, it's also it's well yeah, it's also just a comic booky aspect of the show, which again I love, where it's just not afraid to keep escalating things, sometimes in a absurd, over the top way, where it's like they could have just been, you know, rich dudes who come in and are sort of but otherwise normal. But it's like, no, this is Squid Game. We're going all out. We're gonna have dudes in crazy masks, you know, doing the most insane rich person comic booky type stuff you can imagine and they're just instantly like the most hateable villains ever and they're just going all out and pulling no punches and again like i love that about the show that it isn't afraid to be insane and and weird Mm -hmm. and and i do want to take just a brief pause on talking about the vips to talk about the bridge game because this was the game that broke me this look (laughs) tug oh I, i i just said tug of war broke me this is the guy right, tug of war got me so anxious that I stopped the episode a few times. Like I was, I was shaking. I was so worried about everybody, but the, the bridge game. So basically there's two big, uh, a big bridge over a gigantic chasm. You fall, you die. Obviously there's two panes of glass side by side, going all the way down from one end to the other. Uh, and one of the glasses is tempered. One of them is not. So if you jump on the tempered glass, it could hold two people. If you jump on the non-tempered glass, it will break at the touch of a feather. And there's 16 people left in the games. And it's just like, all right, figure it out, stupid. 
Now, one thing, one thing I do want to address right up front. So a lot of people have said, why didn't they just walk on the, uh, the bars that are holding up the glass? Well, the rules literally state right at the beginning, hey, you can only step on the glass. So they did, they did oh. address that early on. I even they also have that. them take off their shoes, which is like, no, I don't want to die and cut my feet. Yeah, you know, I never even thought about that because I don't the way I'm remembering it visually is that there was almost no bar between the glass. It like like the way that I remember it looking was such that it didn't seem like something you could realistically walk on. It's it's one of those things. It's like, why didn't the eagles fly, you know, uh, Frodo over to Mount Doom? It's like it's that's not what this part is about. But they did address it in universe. But anyways, this is. This is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen because yeah. I don't have like a big fear of heights, but I'm not big on jump on that and see if it breaks like that. If I got so freaked out, I was sweating the well, whole episode. I mean, I think with this episode, I have to kind of pause and just acknowledge, you know, this is true of all the episodes, but especially this one, the directing of this show is freaking incredible. Like, I mean, it's so good and just so visceral and, I don't really know, like, I haven't read that much about who directed these episodes and everything, but just amazing, like, how they put you in the, in the moment of these games. It's, it's a brilliant move throughout. The tension that they're able to build with this stuff is so well done. And you get to the point where, like, all right, there's a lot of people left in the game who we don't know. So they step on stuff, they fall. It's, it's horrible, like, the screams, the thud. It's really, really bad. And then you get to the point where our gangster is is front and center. He is the first, he is the only person left on the bridge. Everyone else is behind him. And he goes, okay, I'm not going to move. Somebody else come up. Right. And if, if nobody does, we're going to run out of time and then we all die. And it's such a, it's such a great character moment, but it's also the most horrifying thing. I, it's just like, yeah. oh God, come up and die in front of me. And it's so bad. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the it's just a master class. I mean, talk about writing. Like, you know, I feel like we don't always talk about this kind of thing when we talk about writing and and things like that. But the the story, the beat progression, like the beat to beat progression of how this game played out, is so brilliantly done. Where it goes from like, okay, here's scenario one, then it gets to scenario two, then scenario three. And each one is, you're like, how are they possibly going to, you know, manage this? And, and they, it's so good at storytelling. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's so great. And of course, like, like every game, it always comes down to the final few seconds. You, and this is where we kind of get a, a perspective that this isn't about the contestants. This isn't about prize money. This isn't about fairness. This is about the VIPs and their enjoyment of the spectacle. Because you have one of the characters looking at the glass and going, I think I can see which one's tempered. I know which one is tempered. And he's making correct decisions. And so one of the VIPs go, oh, they, they figured it out. And they're like, okay, turn off the lights. And it's like, oh, well, that's just not fair. You had this whole speech about how this was supposed to be fair, but it's clearly just about entertaining rich people. And yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the moment where all of the bullshit gets pulled away. And you see this for what it really is. And it's horrible. It is really like an interesting political allegory. I mean, you, we could talk about this forever, but I mean, it is it is interesting how ultimately the the front man 
is almost like the Steve Bannon of this yep. game where like he's legitimately really into the game and he's like all about the the you know the rules and how it's played out but at the end of the day like his masters don't care that much about the the rules and and the you know they just want to manipulate it to their own enjoyment and advantage and so it is like very um interesting to see that I feel like that's a very like uh, widely applicable political analogy. Well, as we learned, the front man is actually a former winner of the games. Right. So to him, the rules should mean everything. It should be uh, an important thing for for him to kind of enforce, and that's why he is so strict about it. But he also understands it's not about him. It's about the VIPs and, and playing to them. And that's, I'm really hoping they get to explore a lot of that in a uh, in the sequel, or if they do a prequel just about him, I would love to see it. Yeah. I'm so excited for what these, these <laughs> filmmakers are able to put forth. And um, then, this is also the uh, the episode where we get Sang Woo's full, full on heel turn. Obviously, him killing Ali is unforgivable. Uh, that's when he was he was dead to me. I wanted him to die immediately. But this is when he's they're one step away from the end of the bridge, and he is behind one person, and he lands on the same platform, and it's like I don't know which one to choose. And so Sangwoo goes, I got you, shoves the dude onto one of the platforms, well, it breaks, and he kills him. I mean, I will say, though, like, I kind of was on his side in a weird way. I mean, because I think some of what the show, I think, tried to convey is that, you know, when you're in the midst of these games, they're so horrifying that you almost have to convince yourself to stay sane, that there is some sort of, like, good versus evil thing playing out but the reality is everyone's gonna die except a couple people and ultimately one person and so there is no real good or evil you have to be evil in order to win see this is why i want you to finish midnight mass because there's an interesting allegory that you're kind of touching on that i think you're you're gonna get another side of that coin and it's 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 very well done but i do agree i think that that's part of what the game is trying to say is that if you put people into this if you put people in a situation where they literally have power over life and death, what does it reveal about them? And there's there's a common uh, idiom that I think people misunderstand. They say that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head who said it, but it was the the biographer of Richard Nixon who wrote the story about you know Nixon's life as president, countered this by saying absolute power reveals. Mm. It's not about turning you into somebody. It's about showing who you truly are. And I think right. in this moment, we saw who Sangwoo truly is. Yeah. And I think Sangwoo yeah. saw it too, which, which leads to the next episode. Like that, that's what, that's what Sangwoo was taking out of this is he saw exactly his place in the world and whether or not he liked it. Well, he decided then. Yeah. Although I, I still think that at the end of the day, like, you could make the argument that if he had not pushed the guy over, they would have all died. So I think part of it was again, the well, saying, sort of, saying, saying who could have taken the, the leap himself. He could have leapt onto the one that he thought was right. Right. He didn't have to push somebody. There was no rule that said he couldn't leap ahead of somebody. So he should have just, he could have just leapt ahead, landed the right way and uh, hopefully made it. One of my favorite parts about the whole sequence is the math teacher. 
who yes. was standing there on the glass in the middle oh, of the that bridge. Was awesome. and, he's, and he's like, yeah. okay, there's this many odds of it being this way, of that way. If I run fast, I might be able to, you know, tension and dispersion. And then he just sprints and you're like, one, two, three, four. Oh my God, <laughs> is this going to make it? And then, no. Yeah. And I mean, the glass, the way that the glass maker was introduced was just another one of those little sort of, you know, it's such a bleak, dark moment before leading up to that. And then they give you just that little like, moment of joy and like fist pumping we're like oh shit like this guy's gonna mm -hmm. like he solved it like in your face you know front man um but then it quickly gets very dark from there and you yeah like, yeah well and i think uh, before we move on from here we definitely have to talk about uh minyao and and dick Su. yes you have the gangster who is in the middle of the bridge and won't let anybody pass a couple people go ahead of him and die and then the next person who jumps onto his platform is Ming Yao. Yes. This woman who has been switching sides and doing whatever she has to do to survive. And and then her and, and Dick Sao hooked up when she was trying to curry his favor. And now it's this moment of, and he betrayed her later on. And now it's this moment of absolute comeuppance. It's not about winning. It's not about losing. It's about vengeance. And it is this really painful but also fist pumping moment where she wraps her arms around his waist and says i told you i'd kill you if you betrayed me yeah it was so good and it was very i mean i feel like i had been lulled into thinking that one or both of them would survive until the end or, or like almost the end and so this was early enough in the series you know you still had a couple episodes left i was genuinely surprised that they did die in that moment and so mm -hmm. i think in general the show is really good about surprising you with each major death yeah no that was definitely a surprise i did not see that coming and it was wild absolutely yeah. wild um and you know one other thing i think in this episode is sort of maybe the most video gamey of the episodes in a lot of ways but i think the whole show and i wonder i mean this is like a whole uh, bigger conversation that we maybe won't fully get into, but I feel like the whole show has a lot of video game sort of tropes and aesthetic to it. And um, I wonder if that's part of the reason that it had like an instant viral following because it instantly presented everyone with these like very identifiable video game sort of um, tropes and world, I guess. Well, I think that, and, and not to knock it from being a video game style movie, because in many ways it, it absolutely is, but I also think it's just, it plays simple. I think it, it really does adhere to the idea of Kiss, of keeping it simple. And because of that, there's no extra layers for you to have to digest. You can really just focus on the characters and the human drama. Because Lost, you had a thousand questions that you had to work through before you got to the characters, which is why some episodes tended to be a little bit too hard to kind of digest. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen the show La Brea, but same kind of thing where there's just so much going on that mm -hmm. you're kind of like, okay, I'm just, I want to feel bad for these characters, but I'm so tired from doing math. Like it's yeah. just a lot of work. Whereas this show is like, this is a bridge. One glass will let you live. One glass will let you die. Good luck. And then you yeah. just go and it's like, okay, there's nothing else for me to think about except I really hope my character doesn't die. But I and do, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, I do think though, like the like think about the bridge. Like the first thing I thought of when I saw that scenario was 
it reminded me of video game scenarios that are similar where like you know you're platforming and you're jumping and you have to jump onto the right sort of you know platform or tile or else you'll fall to your death like it definitely reminded me of that you know absolutely no i, I definitely agree and i the one thing about that episode that i disagreed with was the very very end where when the time runs out the bridge explodes but like violently and i felt like I, that yeah. was a really unnecessary thing because of what it cost yeah no i did think about that i'm sure i'm sure there's a lot of discussion if you look for it about this but it did seem in violation of the spirit of uh the a lot of what we had seen before where in theory if you win the game you should be uh sort of you know you should be scot-free like the fact that the shrapnel then caused a major injury seems sort of surprising because it didn't seem in 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 the spirit of what we had seen so far from the game so that was inter an interesting moment and it, I mean, and then you get, so we're, we're at the final episode. Yeah. Uh, we we're down to three people. We've got uh, saying, Woo, we've got Yoon and we've got our North, North Korean defector who everyone is in love with at this point because she's finally found her heart. And we, it's revealed that when the glass bridge exploded, she got a big chunk of it in her and she's going to die. And so yeah. it's the last night they, they get to have this nice steak meal, which I thought was very cute. And then uh, and then they're going to bed for the last time. And Gihun comes over to watch over her because he knows that she's injured and because he's like, we're going to stick together. Or no, he doesn't know she's injured, but she's like, we're going to stick together against Sengwu because Sengwu pushed the guy at the end of the bridge game. And it's like, okay, well, this is it. This is going to be your last teams, two against one. And then he realizes she is severely injured. And so he tries to get help and Sengwu fucking Sengwu's it. <laughs> the, the bastard dude to me that was his heel turn that I, that was the darkest darkest moment because the when the door opens and our our worker bees walk in with a coffin which all the coffins yeah. in the game are, are dressed up like gift baskets which is really interesting right but it, he walks in <laughs> and you know you know instantly when they walk in it's like oh damn sang woo and it turn around and sang woo is standing over her bed with a bloody knife, and you're just like, "Oh, Gion, you better murder this son of a bitch." Yeah, because I was, I was, you know, I was sort of with, I sympathized with him to that point, but then this, I mean, they just so brilliantly now they've they've sort of underlined it, you know, two or three times. Now we're gonna have the Luke Skywalker versus the Emperor mm -hmm. moment, and I mean, it's obviously not in the same ballpark, like. These are two very kind of shades of great characters, but they build it up to be just this epic confrontation now that you're like, oh man, this is this is going to be big. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's epic. And then they have a coin yeah. flip to decide who's going to play. And, and you can tell, like, the actor who's doing Gion, uh is, is doing such a great job oh, yeah. of transforming himself. He is no longer the smiley, happy divorced father he is this machine of vengeance and they flip a coin they are gonna play the squid game which to this day makes zero sense to me um <laughs> and then and then the game's gonna begin and it's just you you know that this is going to be an ultimate showdown both of them have weapons both mm -hmm. of them are 
are absolutely driven to win one because he has to, because his, you know, his, his money is, is the most important thing to him and the other person out of just stubborn will. Cause Guillaume is not the lucky man in this show. And that sequence is the fact that it happens in the first 20 minutes of that final episode. I was really thrown. I'm like, I thought this oh, was yeah. going to take longer. I thought this was going to be a bigger, you know, slower paced thing, but it, it goes very fast. And there's a beautiful thing that they have where it starts raining and it's very cinematic and it's very, you oh, know, yeah. it's very movie trope. And they, they call it out. The Japanese VIP goes, it's a, uh, I can't remember the exact term, but he says it's basically like a, a lucky rain. It knows when to fall for the moment. Right. And it's, it's this amazing setting. These two old friends killing mm-hmm. each other, not over the money, but over principle. And I thought that was such a cool, cool part of the episode. Yeah. And this is where it really hits home for you because up until now you've had, uh, you know, the, the stakes were sort of obscured by just like the, you know, you were more thinking about the games than you were the, the stakes. And now you're really sort of refocused on like, wow, these are just two regular guys who, you know, would never fight each other normally who, you know, are just pretty average guys in most ways who are now engaged in this battle to the death uh, because of the crazy game that they've, that they've entered themselves into. And that's where it just really does hit home for you in that moment of like, well, this has escalated and brought out the worst in humanity. So. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's so great. So it, it gets to the point where, uh, where Dune has, has very clearly got the advantage. Sangwoo is knocked down, he's beaten, he's tired, and it's all that Gion has to do is not even kill him. He doesn't have to do that. He just has to step at the top of the squid, and he wins the game, and then a guard will shoot Sangwoo. So he doesn't even have to like directly do it. And this is a beautiful character moment where Gion realizes that that's not what he wants. He doesn't want to ever have that blood on his hands. So he offers to saying, Woo, let's just walk away. Let's quit right now. Yeah. At least we walk away with our lives. And this is when saying Woo has his, his small minuscule moment of redemption. And he apologizes and he stabs himself in the neck. Which, yeah. by the way, I, I, uh, trigger warning for, for, suicide and all that too but uh that seems to be like the worst way to kill yourself like what why am i seeing that so much in current media where people are stabbing themselves in the neck please stop doing that i don't know but i you know the one thing that i thought about during that whole segment was you know i'm sure there's someone out there who's like oh well it was obvious the whole time of how this would end up and i feel like you know there was a lot about the show that was surprising I don't know it was, you know, I don't think it was surprising of who ended up the last man standing, but I think this is a perfect example of it. The surprise for this uh, outcome was not important because the journey to get there was so perfectly executed that you can't find to me any fault in it. You know, I, I agree. I think that that's, that's a great lesson for writers to take away from this type of storytelling is, you didn't have to surprise anybody with the fact that Kyun won the game. Right. Like you it's the way that he got there. It's the fact that his character didn't have to devolve in order for him to get there. And I think that was the that was the best part. 
is uh, when the night before the final game, when he was watching over uh, the, the North Korean girl, and he says, we could walk over and kill Sangwoo right now and be done with him. And she says, no, that's not you. That's not mm -hmm. who you are. And he realized that even after Sangwoo killed her, he realized that. And that's the, that's the lesson that he took away. Now, it didn't help him because as we see, when he, when he gets back home, his life is in shambles and he is absolutely broken and will not touch the blood money. Right. The front man actually has a great line where he's like, just pretend it was a dream. Pretend this was all a bad dream. And yes. he, you know now, at this point in the show, you know that that's because he went through it himself. And, mm -hmm. oh, by the way, front man shot his brother off a cliff who was you know trying to save him. Whole bunch of other stuff happens in the show. Go watch the show again. And, yeah. <laughs> and we have Gyun is thrown out onto the street with a card stuffed down his throat with $40 million or 43 billion won on it. And it's just like, it's this crazy moment. Then you look down at the timeline and it's like, there's still 30 minutes left in this episode. Yeah. And I love that because it totally messes with your expectations. Um, I mean, I, so I think we did, you know, we kind of already talked about the twist of the old man and everything. Um, but so I, I guess, I mean, like, let me know if you have any final thoughts on the plot, but I do want to then talk about like what we would like to see in season two. Yeah. So I, I think one of the, the only thing that I think is a very cultural change that, or a cultural uh, um, distinction that I don't think any of us got is why he dyed his hair red. I am, oh. I'm so confident there's a reason for it that I just, we don't have the experience to get, but I would love to read up on it and find out more, but it is I, such a strange and bold choice. Yeah. I guess I kind of thought of it as like, I might just be making this up, but I feel like, in you know, there's a trope sometimes in other shows and movies. And I think this is based on a real thing that might happen is that people, you know, who have huge trauma, like their hair turns gray, you know? Mm -hmm. or white um and uh and this was almost like a subversion of that it felt like where you know he had been through like i mean hellfire and brimstone i guess and now instead of turning white his hair was is red you know yeah i think uh seeing gong yu again playing the game with some other person and and you have uh, you know gyun is is recognizing the fact that this is going to keep going right this game didn't stop because i won other people will play it. And, and the old man scene is great because it does give Gion a little bit of hope. It was what he needed to break out of because he basically goes a year without spending any of that blood money until finally the game itself calls him up to be like, hey man, it's yours. Go ahead and spend it. And, yeah. and you have this beautiful moment. So we get to the end of the, of the show. He's getting on a plane to go see his daughter, which good God, dude, you've had this money for a year to I see know. your daughter. Uh, but he was never trying to be a good dad. And he he has the card that he just took off of somebody else for the game. And he calls. And for a moment, I, I wasn't quite sure what he was saying. Like, I wasn't quite sure what he was trying to do when he was talking on the phone. But you kind of get it that he's like, I want this to stop. It's not that he was trying to volunteer himself. It's like he wanted to say, I want this to stop. I thought that the series was going to end with him blowing the money. And having to go back. And I like this so much more that he calls them and he's like, you have to stop this. Or I, I, we're not horses. We're not, this isn't a, a game. 
And the frontman picks up and says, enjoy your money, get on the plane and go see your daughter. And he turns around. And so I know that the director has explicit or the, the writer director has explicitly said, I don't have plans for a second season. Right. Which, which any writer who says that, you know, that that just means, please, please don't ask me. It's not ready yet. Yeah. Well, it's I, 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 I 100% one, have it. I have a draft, but it's not ready yet. I saw this one interview with him <laughs> that I was kind of laughing and smiling because he said that, but then he followed it with like, well, I guess we could do this and we could explore this and we could give more backstory about the front man or whatever. And you could see, like, almost see the gears turning in his head. Mm-hmm. And it was getting me all excited because I was like, oh, wow, actually, there's a... Because at first, you know, my initial reaction was like, I don't need a season two, per se. But the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, there could be a pretty awesome season two. I, I definitely would be down for it, I think. I think if you consider this just a limited series and this is how it ends, I yeah. think it's fine. I yeah. think you could totally walk away from the show and it's fine. And I think that leaving it on a cliffhanger like this is great because it keeps people talking. It keeps it in the zeitgeist. And I think that's a really important thing for people and especially the consumers of stories to understand the storyteller owes you nothing. Right. This is the story that they put out. If you don't like it, that's okay. You don't have to keep watching it. But if you loved it and it left you on a cliffhanger, all that means is go write fan fiction. Go, go think about it. Go talk about it with your friends on yeah. a podcast. Like, like that's totally fine. If they continue, and honestly, I do hope they do because I, I really love this, this team. I think they put together something so amazing that it would be great mm-hmm. to see them continue it. But I would love to see a prequel about the frontman. I think that could be really fun. And also, I would love to see Gi-hoon not go to the Korean game, but I would love to see him go interrupt another country's game another vip is running the show right and he's able to sneak in or i mean maybe he puts together a team based on the victims families that he is now supporting and they go out to exact revenge i mean like there's so much uh, real estate that you could explore with this series because they they opened up so many questions it would actually be kind of cool if they like part i i don't know Part of me would be curious to see what it would be like if they went to like an American game, but I also don't want it to become an American show. I would want it to maintain the same sensibility and aesthetic that it has, you know? Oh, uh, 1000%. I do not want an American remake of this show. I think that that is a bad instinct that a lot of people have when you, when another country does something well, we Mm -hmm. don't have to, we don't have to copy paste it. You can take the idea of, a murder game and do something else with it because i think there's hell hunger games is a great example of that it is very much battle royale it is very mm-hmm. much running man it's it's dystopian it's it's got a lot of all of the different things so you don't have to copy and paste something to tell a great story just take the things that you like and build your own universe out of it and i, I think that that would be really really fun um, yeah, I would love to see, you know, Mike Flanagan take a swing at it or no, uh, no, no. something like that. <laughs> that would be, I don't know if I'd want that, but um, <laughs> it would be Stephen King just direct running man too, or something. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is interesting because it is, I mean, it's kind of surprising that they almost set up, you know, this guy to be kind of like almost this like avenging hero by the end of the of the show and it is one of those classic dilemmas where it's like i like that he ended up there 
but I also don't know how much I want to see the story of him as an avenging hero. You know, I'd rather, it's one of those things that's almost better left to our imaginations, I think. I agree. I think that, I think there's a lot that they could do. And I yeah. think that right now, leave it in the writer's hands, let them think about it. And if they decide that this story can only diminish if they continue exploring it, then yeah. it's okay that it ends here. I would, I would love to see explorations of different aspects of this because I think it's, it's such a fascinatingly well done version of the death games. But I'm also totally okay with just revisiting this at another time when I have yeah. a little bit more scotch and I can be less anxious. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, I think maybe the clearest cliffhanger too is um, just the fact that you never see the body of the cop and it's sort of uh, almost very overtly being like a dun 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 is he alive or dead i don't know um type of moment so mm -hmm. i mean that's like a clear setup and i do think it could be cool to see like you know more of a story about people investigating the game and like you know seeing it get to like the government level and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. absolutely um yeah there's a whole you know it almost reminds me of the show prison break which i was a big fan of oh like, I, I mean if you want to turn this into a prison break, break podcast i'm ready well it's that kind of thing where it's like obviously the first season is just like very simple a dude escaping the prison then to keep it going they had to like really create this insane you know mythology that kept getting bigger and bigger until it became this like basically like a superhero show um and i could see squid game going down that path and there could be really fun parts about that and there could be it could, like you said, like diminish the show a little bit. So I guess I have mixed feelings about getting it too big and too expansive. But then I guess you could also go the route of just doing the same story again, but with different characters. That could also be interesting. I think so. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to continue this show and, and not even bring you into it. You could, right. or, or you could do something... Uh, um, I remember the show, the show version of Limitless did this, where the show is not about Gyun, it's about a new Squid Games. And, right. and maybe maybe you, you call it Squid Games, but it's not called Squid Games in universe anymore, it's called something else because a different person built the plan and did it, and it's all new games. And it's yeah. obviously a whole new cast. And at you know midway through, Gyun shows up and you're like, Gyun! Right. It's a great moment. It's, that would like, be crazy. That would be great. Like you don't have to have Gyun be the yeah. hero of the story. Is, and then, is, I, th and yeah. I think that would be a great thing if he wasn't. Because Gyun, mm -hmm. as much as he did finish the story, is not a hero. And that's right. part of him. That's part of his character. Him suddenly becoming James Bond or Jason Bourne wouldn't fit. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to see that per se um especially like over the course of a full season um the other thing though like speaking of mike flanagan is i mean i would just love to see more from this creative team so you know maybe they do something that's a similar tone and type of story but is a completely different thing in the same way that mike flanagan has done like haunting of hill house and then Bly manor and now midnight mass like that could be cool too mm -hmm. absolutely bring back the cast to do to do something different um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I know we're, we're running short on time, but, um, I, you know, I, this show really got me excited. Like 
I feel like this gave me just that unpredictability um, that so many shows lack. And just really, I mean, just as a, as a writer, as a creative person, it really just got me energized because it was one of those shows where it felt like anything was possible tonally, plot-wise, um, and it just created in my mind so many possibilities for ideas, and, and it really got my creative juices going. So I really enjoyed it a lot. Absolutely. I think this is one of those movies that you watch and it gets you inspired to tell more stories. And yes. I think that I have seen so many Korean stories. Uh, this, Parasite, Okja, Kingdom, uh, Train to Busan, they're, they're stories that are so simple and told so well, and it just gets you pumped. When you see something done well, it gets you excited to do it yourself. Yeah, I think it's really cool that this sort of came out of nowhere, became this mega viral hit, and hopefully it opens the door for more international series, for more Korean series specifically, um, and for more just crazy out-of-the-box stuff, because hopefully that's the lesson that people take from this is that, you know, just tell a great story, don't worry about conventions, and just go for it. And I think there's another story that obviously a lot of people heard about this where the writer uh, got rejected with this script several times before it finally got picked up. I think it was over a decade that he was trying yeah. to shop this thing. So it's a great point that tastes change and you don't have to worry about how many no's you get. You just have to worry about that one yes. And I think that that's the lesson people should take away. Yes. And uh, so, so let's wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much, Adam. Uh, hopefully you and I are never forced to compete in a battle to the death. Uh, you would definitely win. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if it's the glass bridge, I'm out. I'm yeah. out. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you so much for, for doing this. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll do another one of these soon. Awesome. This has been great. And when you finish Midnight Mass, I have so much to talk about. All right, maybe we'll do a follow-up all about that one. But uh, <laughs> until then, go watch Squid Well, hopefully if you've been listening to this whole thing, you've already seen Squid Game. But uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Reach out, DM me, message me on Twitter, at Danny Barham. Uh, and uh, Adam, what's your Twitter again? So I'm at Officer Mancorn, M-A-N-K-O-R-N. You can also find me on TikTok talking about writing. Yes, follow Adam. He's a very talented writer, a very uh, funny dude. So follow him on social media, and uh, we will talk to you guys later. Enjoy. All right.